Join Dennis Seagrave for Den at Ten. Hello again. It's been a stressful week this week, one way or another. We, uh, we started off with my car having to go in to have its brakes done. So Elaine followed me up in hers, ready to go out for the day while they sorted my car. Well, we decided because we got a new pup on the way, we'd uh, call at the pet shop. Only about half, three quarters of a mile up the road from where the car was being seen to. So we went in there and started stocking up with a few bits and pieces. Came out to the car and Elaine's car wouldn't start. Now it's uh, automatic, so our impression was that we couldn't take it out of parking gear to be able to try and push start it or tow it away. So we phoned for a motoring organisation that we're members of to come and collect us and sort the car out. Really it only wanted taking down, as I say, half a mile down to the garage where mine was being sorted out. But we hung on. A few minutes later I had a phone call from my daughter who works in the two garages side by side. They, they work in conjunction with each other, they're not in opposition, they work together. She says, I've just had the fella in and he's got the cars mixed up. And I said, what do you mean mixed up? He says, well, he had two Nissans in on that day. And one of them needed the brake pipes doing, new pipes in. She says, and he got them mixed up and yours wasn't the one that needed the new brake pipes. So all in all, we'd had the trip for nothing. We could have come up in my car, got the bits and pieces and gone home again. Or gone to a different pet shop even nearer home. Oh well, never mind. Once these recovery guys have got here, we'll be down there and I'll pick my car up. Well, about two hours later, I said, well, I might as well walk down to the garage and pick my car up, come back up here and then load all the different things we've bought into the back of my car ready for wherever I go after that. Well, we phoned for the recovery service about ten past twelve, midday. I'd walked down to the garage to get my car, and one of the mechanics came back up with me and tested the car, and he said, yes, it's, it's in the timing of the engine. When we came to the conclusion that because it always worked when it was cold, but we'd had a similar problem to this before, but it had, had eventually started, that it was something in the timing that when the system got hot, it just swelled enough with the heat 
to knock the electronic timing out. So it obviously needed a new part that hadn't got the play in it that this had. Anyway, I took him back, thanked him very much and drove him back down to the garage. Came back up to Elaine and sat and waited. And although we'd phoned at ten past twelve, midday, and they said it'd be about an hour and a half, at quarter to four, a local recovery firm under contract turned up to sort us out. He checked it all over, tried different things, turned the key and it started. Of course the engine had cooled down and it started. Any expansion from the heat had gone out of the engine and the timing had gone back in. Also he showed me how you could take the car out of parking gear and into neutral and be able to tow it. If I'd have known that, I could have towed it down to the garage myself. Three hours earlier. But never mind. Sorted. Everything loaded into my car. He left the lane's car where it was. Back at the garage. After we'd towed it down there. The irony of all that was that Elaine's car was supposed to be going in on the Friday anyway to get uh, this poor starting checked. We knew it was happening but it wasn't happening, it had only happened two or three times over the last month. We just weren't expecting it to go at that point. Quite the opposite as is the usual case in these things, if you take it to a garage because it's acting awkward you can't get it to act up on the day so they can't check what's wrong. Anyway, the long and the short of that is, is uh, we got the car back on the Saturday, repaired for now. Um, they've replaced what they think ought to be done, but if it needs the full parts renewing, it's about a £600 job. But for £100, they've replaced parts of it and got us back mobile again. We've more or less lived down there this week. We were supposed to be there on the Wednesday with my car. We were supposed to be there on the Friday with Elaine's car. And I was supposed to be there on the Saturday with the caravan to have the brakes sorted on that. I did duly pick the caravan up from its storage place and take it down on the Saturday. Put it up on the ramp and the three of us stood underneath and tried to sort out what was wrong. I'd ordered some new brake cables just in case the cables had gone. The cables haven't gone, which was perhaps a good job because the cables I'd ordered hadn't got the right size of connector on. Which was strange because it didn't give me an option of what size connector I wanted. They just said these are the pipes and that these are the cables and the connectors. So. We didn't need them anyway, but they weren't expensive. I hadn't paid a lot of money for them, so it didn't matter really. Adjusted the brake on the one side, but one of them wouldn't adjust. There's something gone in the hub, so the caravan's down at home now, ready to be jacked up, the wheel taken off and the, the hub dismantled to see what's wrong inside the hub. 
not a big job we don't think so by the end of the next week we should be back on the road and away we go today was a bit different we'd been down to where they'd bred the pup and seen the, the mother mother dog talked to the people as had bred it they weren't professional breeders they just had a purebred dog that they wanted to get a litter of pups out of keep one for themselves and sell the others on smashing couple got on very well with them people after our own heart I think anyway today was the day that we picked it up <laughs> I looked at the calendar June the 6th D-Day what a day for picking up a dog particularly as we'd called it Monty I'd had a boxer dog years ago and we called it Winston after Churchill so it was only appropriate that we were going to call this one Monty after his sparring partner Field Marshal Montgomery Monty for short and I didn't realise it at the time but we've actually picked him up on D-Day <laughs> strange how things go isn't it I was talking to somebody the other day and he said how is it you do things with meat and fish and know what you're doing when you're sorting cheeses out and that sort of thing I said well there's two things really one is I grew up in amongst farm I was born on a farm and I used to visit regularly to my grandparents who lived there saw a lot of things that were going on saw how they got things going in the kitchen how they did their food how they looked after their animals and eventually used them for food and also in my late teens as I've said on these chats before I worked in a local shop in the village in those days before the co-op grew into the sort of building it is now when it was just a, another shop on the main street the shop where I worked was probably the the classiest and biggest shop in the village greengrocers delicatessen fishmonger's slab dry goods it had got the lot and I was fortunate enough to work there and learn what we did with foodstuffs there to get them ready for customers we had two large outdoor cold rooms and a huge warehouse the warehouse was where we had all the tin stuffs, the cornflakes, the dried goods, that sort of thing. And the cold rooms, one was for the cheeses and butters, and the other was for the meats that we sold. Bacon and hams and that sort of thing. Now the preparation of it all came that we'd have the cheeses were in huge truckles, I suppose they were called. 
quite rounded columns of cheese all wrapped in muslin cloth how they'd been matured now these were, were quite sizable things I mean some of them were about half a hundredweight and you'd take them in cut off the muslin off the top of it leave half still with the muslin on it then get a big cheese wire and slide it through and halve it and then on its side and halve it again and that would give you this slab of cheese that you could then cut into the wedges that cheese came in in those days the sort of thing that you had under the china cheese dishes that had a triangular lid on them that held the wedge of cheese underneath it and these were the sort of things that I learnt there bacon would come in complete sides that you carried only on your shoulder and then hung it up and then when it was time to use that particular one you'd fetch it in onto the slab you, you, we had a technique of taking out the bones, the rib bones, all the way along the side of the bacon, you'd take those out. Then the bones at each end, I think we used to call it the oyster bone at one end, the ham end of the bacon side. Then you'd roll it, tie it and get it ready for putting on to the bacon slicer. Now in those days our bacon slicer wasn't a, a little electronic one like you have now. It was a huge great thing on a red metal frame with a bed with the little spikes on that you laid the bacon on to cut it. A huge sharpened wheel that went round as the cutting blade that was at 90 degrees to how you stood to it. Then a handle along the front side that you turned by hand and this sent the plate backwards and forwards in front of this cutting blade while each time it edged the, the bacon or the ham or whatever you've got on there to cut a bit nearer to the blade so that each pass then cut a slice off exactly the same thickness every time the blade came into contact with this plate it was a, a brilliant contraption that as you turned the bacon or the ham or whatever meat you were cutting went that one step into the blade. But never the metal part of the tray hitting the blade at all, just the meat going through and the knob on the side that you altered the thickness of how thick you wanted your bacon or your meat. So I learnt all that preparation while I was there. And then I learnt how to fillet fish. Now the boss of the shop, he was about 70 years old then. Been in the village for years and years. I think he came sometime around the Second World War era or a bit before the Second World War. Well respected man and doing things like fillet in place or things like that he he taught me how to do that and to be honest when he did it 
once he'd finished, there wasn't enough flesh left on the bones of the place for a cat to enjoy. He was brilliant at it. And if he knew you'd been filleting any fish, he always came and had a look at the bits you were throwing away to make sure there wasn't too much meat on it. He didn't want any waste. You're not throwing bits away. You fill it it well and then you, you can price everything you've got. Then of course there was the simpler, more mundane things like being able to recognise varieties of apples. Being able to know what to do with different things. Tomatoes, he said. I'll give you an example. And he got two trays of tomatoes. One tray, he turned them all perfectly upright, so as all the stalks that were still attached to tomatoes in those days, all the little stalks stood upright in the box, and everything was laid in a pattern in the box. The other tray, he stood beside it, and just put all the tomatoes haphazardly into it. And I think, if I remember rightly, the ones that he'd put in neat rows and neat order, all matching, he priced at a penny a pound dearer than the others that were all jumbled in. They were all out of the same original box, but he just arranged them differently. And we sold twice as many of the dearer ones, nicely displayed, than the cheaper ones that were just rough in the box. And he said, that is the art of running a greengrocer's. That is how you sell things. And these are the sort of things that, that stayed with me. His shelves were always immaculate. All the tins faced the same way. All the packets of stuff were stacked and labelled. Every shelf had got a number or a price on it for all the items. I was there during the, was it February 1971, was it? 1970, I forget now. We went decimal. A few months before we went decimal, I had to go round and change all the little, there was like runners on the edge of the shelf and you put little plastic numbers in that gave all the prices. And a few months before decimalisation, I had to go round and take all the halfpennies off and put the new prices down, take the halfpennies off and make sure whether it had gone up to the rounded penny or down to the rounded penny to put the price on. Then, of course, a few months later, we had February the 15th. And guess who had to go round and change all the prices from pounds, shillings and pence to pounds and pence? or new pence, as they were known in those days. Yep, all round the entire shop. I mean, it was a big place. It was originally two, one huge double-fronted shop. Massive shop. What we did well. And one of the things that also stuck with me was that we did fairly high-class extra foods not that the usual villager picked up but we had more exotic things in the window on display for people to see 
and this was because we delivered to all the local halls. People would come in, see the produce, the owners of the hall, say, oh, we'll have this, we'll have that, we'll have that. And then they'd also phone in an order of other things that they wanted. Usually me or the owner's grandson would then take these orders, pack them all in old apple boxes or whatever we'd got that the main produce had come in and I'd drive out in the car and deliver them. The owner went occasionally but he saw me as a way of he didn't have to turn out. He could boss the shop and when he felt tired he could go and sit into his living quarters at the back of the shop. But we did Wichner Hall, Croxall Hall, Catton Hall, Orgreave Hall and one or two other like Oliver's House, Oliver's Hayes. We did all of those. I delivered in all times of the year and all weathers to those places. And I learnt a lot just by talking to the people in the halls, the different people I met there. Catton Hall in particular, the old lady always used to come. I used to take the main hall's groceries to a place where the back of the servants' quarters but uh, the old lady, the dowager of the house, I used to take to the main hall itself. Invariably, she'd meet me in the doorway and stand talking. Lovely lady, enjoyed many a very pleasant chat with her. But it had its bonuses. Come Christmas time, these people were exceedingly generous with the tips they gave out exceedingly generous it was one of those places where over a week's delivery at that time of the year I'd get more tips than I did wages but it was how we were we were a family run business we were a family style of business and we treated everybody with the same respect we did very well it was a really good business Breaks my heart now when I go down the main street and it's the bulk of it's been pulled down and it's been converted into one small private house. I had happy days there. Amongst the other things we used to have, eating out in pubs wasn't so popular in the late 60s, early 70s when I was doing this job. But there was one in particular in the next village that was renowned for its pub meals. Now we very rarely delivered there, but we provided a lot of the produce for there. And we didn't deliver there because they didn't phone in an order. The landlord, chef, was very particular about how he did his food and he got a reputation for very good food. And he, although we were good at what we did, didn't rely on us to provide the goods. He would come and meticulously go around the shop and pick up 
the foodstuffs that he wanted for his customers. And we would bag it up, parsley it up, box it up, and he would take it with him. I never ate there myself. I did on occasion take the odd emergency ration out to him, as it were, when he'd been popular and he was running out of certain of his stuff, and he'd phone up and say, you know those whatever, cauliflower, cabbage, carrots, whatever he wanted, you know those I picked the other day, have you got any left? Yes, well can you bring me some over? They were going that well, he wanted some more. Smashing guy, smashing guy. Him and his wife came in regular and made sure they got the right things. I remember we, we used to go round and the grandson of me used to go out after after the normal shopping hours we'd load up the van or the small lorry we had and we'd go off round the delivering to local factories, schools, hospitals, that sort of thing. And we'd go off and go round to the local towns, we'd deliver several bags of potatoes to a local chip shop. We delivered to the canteens of a, a factory that had set up on the old airfield at Fradley. We'd go over to a place at, at Cannock and drop off foodstuffs there. And I know we were very, very busy in those days, Peter and myself. Worked very hard. But we enjoyed it. It was what we wanted to do. Not a care in the world. And I know somebody one day said, oh, are you going to go into this when you've, you've finished your, your college, when you've finished your, your studies? I said, no, I don't think so. I'll, I'll find the job I want. But it won't be doing this. Although I'm enjoying it, this isn't my future. And they turned round and they started to laugh and they said, well, I'm surprised at that because if you and Peter can't make a profit, nobody will. And yes, we were... We were good at what we did. But it's gone now. All gone. Even the style of the shop it was is now gone. Supposedly progress, I suppose. The biggest shop here now in the in the village is the co-op. I can remember it as the, the old little old shop at the top of the village. Had... Uh, Still had sawdust on the floor when I first started going up there with my mum. Had a big place built in the middle. They knocked a, knocked a farm down, knocked a farm down, farmyard, and built a block of shops there. Used to be a little clothier's shop, the big co-op, and a news agents in this row of shops they'd built brand new. Yeah, happy days, but just fond memories now, I'm afraid. It, it isn't until you sit and talk and think about things like this and you think, God, that was 50 years ago. 50 years. <laughs> yeah.
They used to laugh at people when they used to say uh, the good old days and things like that. And of course, they weren't really the good old days, but you just pick out the bits that are fond memories. You forget the hardships, you forget the different things that's brought you down on those eras. You just think back to the happy times, the pleasant times, when the sun was shining. I don't often think about the days when I was digging in the snow to try and get a delivery to a farm across the fields, or when the floods were up and we had to take a rowing boat to get to a house that was isolated at the side of the river. One of my mates used to live there with his parents and every year as the autumn started to creep in they used to move all the, all the expensive stuff upstairs because they knew at some point the downstairs rooms would be flooded as the river rose. But they still wanted feeding so we used to go out as far as we could with a rowing boat on the top of the, on the, top of the car then put the groceries in the boat and row out to the house, deliver the groceries and row back again. Service with a smile in those days. Anyway, I've just looked at the clock. I've been rabbiting on and getting lost in my own reminiscences. I'll go down and have a play with this new puppy now. English Springer Spaniel, lovely breed. Lovely animal. Looking forward to it. Ta-da for now.